Would you welcome to this pulpit, Apostle Lafayette Scales. Thank you, Lord God Most High. Well, let's give a praise and a shout out to the Lord. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's uh, saints. And we do honor the Lord for his presence in this place. And what a wonderful uh, time that we've had together, uh, just praising our God this morning and celebrating the life that he's given unto us. And it is in him that we live and move and have our being. And we thank the Lord for waking up on a cool New England morning. (laughs) And it's that transitional time during the year where we're between seasons. And so we honor the Lord uh, for that. Traveling with me uh, this week is my wife of uh, 39 years. It will be next month. Word says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor of the Lord. So I would like to introduce you to my wife. She is the one that surrounds me. She is my good thing, says the word. And she is the one that becomes the source of my favor. She is the most beautiful woman in the world. Teresa, why don't you stand up and let the people greet you, my love, my dove, my undefiled. Amen. Our children are all adults now, so uh, in 39 years, the Lord has blessed us with two sons and one daughter. Our oldest son is married. He gave us two wonderful grandchildren, Marquise Lafayette Scales and uh, Mia uh, Naomi Scales, and then uh, my daughter just got married in October, and so I just have one son that's still left at home, and uh, he's graduated from college, taking care of his business. He's off my life support system, but still living at home, so that's all right, you know, uh, as long as he takes care of his business, amen. We let him, we let him get a chicken leg out the refrigerator every now and then, Amen. <laughs> And all of y'all know that preachers and chicken have this thing going on, you know. Yeah, the, the first uh, man, Peter, this chicken crowed on him one night. And, and so we've been eating chicken ever since, amen, just taking it out on that chicken. Uh, and so uh, we honor the Lord. It's been a real joy raising our children, and, uh, and it's been uh, good to see them continue to grow in the faith and admonition of the Lord. And... Uh, and uh, to see them rise up and call their father and their mother blessed is, is one of our great joys in life. And uh, we, we honor the Lord for that. It's also an honor to be here. We talk about this church a lot of places we go. Uh, about the uniqueness of, uh, of the church here, the, the worship, the diversity of men and women that the Lord has drawn here. We honor the Lord for the foundation that was laid by your founding pa- pastor, Pastor Sam Smith and Donna and uh, the legacy that God continues to build here in New England. 
and we honor the Lord also. Uh, and I'm calling and texting Pastor John whenever all these storms come across this way, such as blizzards, and uh, asking how you're doing. And then we have a chance to talk and fellowship on the phone. And um, we just have developed a strong relationship with he and Anita. And you all have some of the most wonderful, wonderful leaders. But why don't you celebrate your pastor this morning also. Thank you for having us back also. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Could you take your Bible and hold it up this morning? And we're going to make a faith declaration that we'll begin our time together. Say this after me. This is my Bible. Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I believe that. Let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, this morning to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea. He's one of the minor prophets in our Bible, Old Testament. And Hosea, the minor prophets are the prophets that were shorter and the fact that they are called minor prophets does not mean that they are less important, but they wrote shorter works. The book of Hosea. Let me introduce you to Hosea's world. During the time of the Old Testament, there's a man named David that rises to the throne of Israel about 1000 BC. David is a man that is a king that the New Testament will describe as a man after God's own heart. I love David as a character, but because he's not a perfect man, but he's a, not a wicked man. Because even in his imperfection, when he's confronted, he repents. And one of the things that wicked people will not do is that they will not repent. That's why they're called wicked, not just sinners. All kind of sin is described in the Bible. And some people say that sin is sin. That's not particularly true. There are different kinds of sin that are listed in the Bible. And there are different kinds of penalties that God gave for different kinds of sin. Israel then, when David arrives to the throne, he dies about 1000 BC. Then his son Solomon takes over. Solomon builds the temple. He dies. Rehoboam takes over. And uh, listens to bad counsel and the kingdom divides. Ten tribes go north and form Israel. Two tribes stay south and form the nation of Judah. During the time of what's called the divided kingdoms in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, both nations do sin in the sight of God. 
But even when God's people get in trouble, God never leaves them without a voice. God's people gets in trouble. And when they arrive in trouble because of bad decisions, then God sends prophets their way to bring his heart to the people. God's heart is always to restore people back to the place from which they have fallen. God sends prophets both to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom. To the north, he sends a prophet named Jonah who runs from God. A few years ago, we explored the book of Jonah. It's only four little chapters. If you were not here, those CDs should be in the, in the bookstore. Get those because you might meet Jonah in heaven. He'll ask you, did you read my four little chapters? Okay. And so you might want to get that series. Jonah goes to the north. He's reluctant. And uh, he, he moves out of the northern kingdom during the time in the northern kingdom. Isaiah prophesies and then Micah. But then the southern kingdom also has prophets. Joel prophesies to the southern kingdom as well as Amos. And then this little prophet that we'll look at today, his name is Hosea. Hosea prophesies during the time when Israel has now gone after idolatry. And he does not so much prophesy just to the nation itself, but also to the leaders of the spiritual community in the nation, the leaders that are in Jerusalem, the leaders that are in Judah. Judah and Jerusalem were the praise and worship center for the nation. And whenever a nation's in trouble, God will usually speak to the people that lead worship way before he speaks to the heathens and to those that have been cast off. Because 2 Chronicles 7 is still true. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive the sin and I will heal the land. God sends this prophet into the nation to begin to prophesy. And when he goes... He's unlike the other prophets because most of their prophetic ministry is through the word that they speak. But God tells Hosea, I want your life to not only be the word that you speak, but also dramatize, show Israel what she is doing to me. As we explore this book this week, one of my concerns is about what's going on in the cities of America and in the cities of nations across the world. Because I really believe that the way that the church goes is the way that the nation goes. The church, if you will, sets the standard for the nation. And God always sends a voice to his church. Evaluation always begins at the house of the Lord. King James says judgment. And if God can get his people straightened out, then he can deal with the rest. But woe be to the nation who even the people of God don't even have a voice and cannot be found. It's what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, those twin cities when God sent an angel down and finally after negotiation, if they could have just found 10 righteous folk in the city, he would have preserved the city. 10 righteous people. He didn't destroy the city because of their wickedness. He destroyed it because there was no righteous folks to speak against and to stand against the wicked. He said, I'll spare them for the righteous folk. 
My prayer is that by the time I leave New England, that we can find at least 10 righteous folk in Seacock. That wasn't enough of an amen, but we'll work on it. I trust that we can find 10 righteous folk in Boston. I find, trust that we can find 10 righteous folk in Washington, D.C. Because if any of us have eyes, we could see that our nation and that our cities and that the nations and that the cities across the nations are in trouble. Now, I've not been everywhere in the world, but I've been various places in the world. And some of the challenges that we experience here in America that it seems for a while we have been exempt from are now starting to surface that have been commonplace other places. And yet at the same time, we as a people of God should not be without hope. My goal like Hosea is not to be political. There's enough of that on television. (laughs) You can get that all week long, 24 hours a day, even when it's looped. My goal is to be like Hosea and to speak to God's people about where we are and where God wants to take us. Our theme this week is understanding the times, understanding the times. So we come to this little prophet Hosea, Hosea chapter one, verse number one. It says the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Buri. And it says in the days of Uzziah and Jothan and And Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam and in the days of Joash, the king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry for the land has committed a great harlotry by departing from the Lord. This introductory verse that was read here this morning, verses one and two, many of our scholars and commentators would say it opens up the key for this particular book because the picture is the picture of a holy man, Hosea. And this holy man, Hosea, is called to prophesy and the minister And he is a holy prophet and he's told to go marry a woman named Gomer, who is a wife of harlotries. Anytime a man marries a woman named Gomer, he's in trouble right at the altar. (laughs) Yet God says, go marry Gomer. And then he adds this clause. She's a woman of harlotry, which means that she was a prostitute, immoral. Now, now the picture portrays this holy man that goes and marries an immoral woman. But what he's going to do is God is going to back off from this literal picture, actual picture, life picture that we look at. And he's going to say, I'm represented in Hosea and Israel. You are represented by Gomer. See, God portrays his relationship with Israel in marital terms. And that is dangerous for us because in Ephesians chapter five, God tells a man that he ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He speaks in his relational terms of Jesus loving the church as a betrothed wife 
and Christ or God, Jehovah, loving Israel as his wife in the Old Testament. This is portrayed by several Old Testament passages that I think that we need to explore this morning for a foundation. Look at me in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 14. In my home church, uh, sometimes they say, Pastor, you read a lot of scripture when you preach. And I said, well, you don't read the Bible at home. You don't read it on TV. I said, they don't read it on the radio, so we might as well read it in church, okay? <laughs> and in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 14, looking at this whole analogy to establish the fact that God saw Israel in the Old Testament as his bride, just like Christ sees the church as his bride. So that the message becomes relevant. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it says, Thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is a is jealous, is a jealous God. It says, Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after other their gods. It says, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and they eat of his sacrifice. Uh, Thou and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make your sons go whoring after their gods. God warned them, he said, listen. I don't want you going to pursue other gods because I know that I want you to, if you do that, you'll make covenant with them. And he said, and listen, if you make covenant with other gods, if you look to anything else as your source, whatever is your source is your God. He said, it's going to be shown up. It's going to show up in the next generation. Right now, as we stand at Faith Christian Center in 2013, statistics given by George Barna, Josh McDowell, uh, and also by Thomas Rayner, who's a Southern Baptist statistician. All of those statistics say that right now with our young people, when our young people come across the front of the church on graduation Sunday and pick up their white Bible, 90% of the children that pick up their white Bible when they graduate from high school, walk away from the church and we don't see them again until age 30. 90%. Three years ago, it was just 85%. And the question everybody's raising, because it's it's a national problem, and now I'm talking to missionaries from across the world, they're saying it's not just a national problem, it's a universal problem. It's happening in Asia, it's happening in Africa, it's also happening in Europe. And I'm saying, why is this? And God says, if you and I who are the adults go seeking other things as our source, it's going to show up in our kids. He said, you may not see it in your generation. He said, but you'll see it in the next generation. He says, your sons and daughters will give themselves to foreign gods, foreign ideals and foreign sacrifice. And so God calls for their loyalty to him exclusively in the Old Testament. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the law. 
uh, not a lot of new uh, information or knowledge in Deuteronomy. They just have come from 40 years out of the wilderness and God tells Moses, tell it to him again. Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, truth is established. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse number 16, it says they provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. It's constant throughout the Old Testament, especially in the law, that God both warns in Exodus 34, don't go after other gods because I'm a jealous God. That's my name. I want you to know that up front. And then he says here, and then they did it anyway. They provoked him to jealousy, provoked him to jealousy with abominations. They provoked him to anger and anything that we look to as our source other than God himself becomes our God. King James says they went after and they provoked him with strange gods and that abomination provoked him with anger. Let's look at one of the prophets now, Isaiah 62.5, uh, uh, 62.5 and then Isaiah will find a similar warning coming uh, at the time of uh, this prophet that is writing that we're looking at, Hosea, Isaiah comes along in 62 and verse number five. And again, as he prophesies to the nation, he says, for as a young man, as a young man marries a virgin, so shalt thy sons marry thee. And it says, and as a bridegroom rejoiced over the bride, so shall the Lord rejoice over thee. When God connected with Israel, not because they were great, not because they were strong, not because they were many, but because he loved them. He then said, I saw you and I received you unto myself and I received you as pure because I called you that. And he said, and I'm treating you like a bride and I'm rejoicing over you. And that's what God wants to see, not only with Israel and his relationship there, but Christ wants to see with his church that he says, you are the apple of my eye. You are exclusively who I look for. I look for none other, but I want that response from you church. Look at me in Jeremiah now chapter three, Jeremiah chapter three and verse number 14. And in three fourteen, we read two in the law. Now we read in the prophets and in, and in Jeremiah chapter three, 14, three 14, we find this, this word, in 314, it says, uh, it says, turn, says King James. Oh, backsliding children, saith the Lord. For I am married unto you and I will take you one and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion. Listen, God, even when Israel was going and it was prophesied that they were going to captivity, he still is there as a loving uh, bridegroom saying, turn. If you'll turn back to me, I'll take you back. You know that all God wants from his church right now in our nation and among the nations that we turn our hearts back to him. No matter what systems are offering us by way of contract, fame, notoriety, all God says, if you'll turn back to me, I'll take you. And you know what? We were better with him than we were with any other. And he says that, and he considered Israel as a backsliding. One place we're going to find in Hosea where he calls her a backsliding heifer. That's a, that's a tough term from God to a people. 
said, you're nothing but a cow that's trying to go up a slippery slope and you keep slipping back down. But he said, if you'll turn, I'll take you. Look at me in the New Testament. Now Ephesians 5, I quoted it, but laying foundation this morning. And then we'll deal with detail in the book. In Ephesians chapter 5, one of my favorite chapters I'd love to go through. This chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, with premarital counseling with people so they can understand the Christ church relationship and husband-wife relationship. But we'll go right to the point here. Here he says in Ephesians 5, And verse number 25, he says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. The Christ church relationship is that Christ loves a people called the church. We're a gathering of God's people. And the word love, don't get it confused with just some emotional stimulation. The word love means agape. He's always seeking our highest good all the time. Love. He's always seeking our highest good all the time. Love. This love that God gives to us, it is focused, it is irrevocable. Every time God knows his thoughts towards you, they are thoughts of good and not evil to bring you to a hope and to a future. He's always seeking our highest good all the time. And then the word comes back and it tells husbands, you love your wives like that. Always be seeking their highest good all the time. So the picture conveyed here is Christ's relationship with his church. And yet Exodus says, if you go after other lovers, if you go after other things, he said, then your sons and daughters will get confused. They'll join themselves to the idols of the land. They'll join themselves to the people of the land. And pretty soon you won't know that there's any Christians around. Josh McDowell, several years ago, wrote a book called The Last Christian Generation. It was written over 10 years ago. And what he was exploring was then the falling away of Bible-believing youth from the church. Friends, it's interesting that Bible-believing people in America, their average church attendance right now, 62%. I heard that statistic last night, and I've read some that say closer to 65% is twice a month. The average Bible-believing Christian in America attends corporate worship two times a month. Now, the average worship experience only lasts two hours a week. And there's 168 hours in a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 168 hours. We're in the house of the Lord for the most part, some of us, two hours a week, which means that the world has 166 hours out there to romance you. And in those two hours a week, we expect the church to save our kids cast out demons, prophesy to us, make us rich, heal us with a two-hour investment when 166 hours out there, they're romancing us and seducing us and conforming us to the way that they think. If I was preaching at Raymond Christian Center, I would tell one of our contractors, bring me in a 12 foot tape measure. And I'd stretch it across the church. And uh, once I stretched it across the church, 
I would say, okay, find 168 inches on here. And I'd take a black magic marker and mark out two inches. And the rest of that is the time that the world has you. And friends, if you don't and I don't interrupt that two hour period of time once a week. And the average 65% of us only see the need for corporate worship twice a month. That's four hours a month. Can you understand why we're being seduced? See, the problem is idolatry. We're looking to other things as our source. And the problem with Gomer says the first verses, uh, first few verses of the book of Hosea, we just read three this morning. The problem with Hosea is that she's going, with Gomer is that she's going after other lovers. The problem is seen that she goes after other gods. And if you look over now in Hosea chapter two and verse number 13, we'll skip ahead just a little bit just to get this key verse. It says here in Hosea chapter two, verse 13, who was she running after? He says, I will punish her for the days of Baals to which she burned incense and decked herself with her earrings and her jewelries and went after her lovers. But me, she forgot, says the Lord. The problem with Gomer was that she was running after Baals. Now, now listen, we see the word Baal in the Old Testament quite a bit. And, and the word Baals, uh, as listed in New King James, is probably a better rendering because Balaam was not really a singular God. The word Baals or Balaam was a weather God. They thought that Balaam had many gods and, uh, and there, there was a God of thunder. There was a God of weather. There was a God of rain. There was a God of, of, uh, of clouds. There was a God of lightning. And they thought that all of these made up what they called Baals. It was really the God of fertility. They thought that if they went out there and if they looked to Baal as their resource, then they would really have fertility and abundance and they would have increase. So they started looking for something else to give them increase. And friends, one of the challenges that we're having in the kingdom of God is that they worship Baal. Many times they have Baals in the hills and then they have Baals in the forest and then they have Baals in the mountains and then they have Baals in the field. And constantly throughout the history of Israel, Jeremiah and then Elisha and then even Jehu, they would have to fight against this source called Baal. And what I find is that God's people now are running to different resources. They're running to different resources and, and, they're, and they're trying to think that other things are going to help us uh, and, 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 and give us progress and prosperity. And I believe that God comes to call his church back to himself. And God says, listen, idolatry, when it replaces God, brings destruction. God still declares to us, I am your source. And friends, I want you to know that the Democratic Party is not our source. The Republican Party is not our source. The Tea Party is not our source. Liberals are not our source. Conservatives are not our source. Business is not our source. There's only one source that we have. And that source, we get access to him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is God our Father. 
And when we leave God, our father, as our source through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have abandoned and we put something else in as another God. Democrats can't fix this. Republicans can't fix this. The Tea Party can't fix this. Liberals and conservatives cannot fix this. And friends, if we're looking to any of those other sources and calling upon the name of the Lord, we have misdirected ourselves and we're gone after other gods. The nation's in trouble. Yet we have bales all over the place. We think if we elect this one, maybe he'll fix it. Unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain to build it. Unless the Lord keeps the city and watches it, the watchmen watch in vain. And this prophet, God tells him to marry this woman that represents a religious system that's chasing other things as source. Some have replaced God with their education. Now I know a lot of educated, unemployed folk. So they found out education wasn't right. Some replaced God with their financial portfolios. Then those caved in. They found out financial portfolios are not their source. And friends, we're finding that every system is starting to now crumble and show that it has cracks. Could it be that God is wooing us back to him and he's going to tell us through this prophet that when you were with me, it wasn't like that. He calls us back to himself. You see, the thing that happens when you and I, in Hosea chapter 1, when we marry ourselves to other things, it shows up in the next generation. And watch this. Look at me in Exodus chapter 20. The one sin that God said would not just affect the person that sinned, but would affect the next generation is a thing called idolatry. Look at me in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 4, Uh, This is uh, one of the commandments of the Lord. And in Exodus 20, verse number four, this is among the Ten Commandments. And among the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse number four, transgenerational consequences come from idolatry. He says this, he says, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images of uh, things like anything that is in heaven above or that in the earth beneath are in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them or serve them. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, but listen to the love of God, but showing mercy to thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Here's what God tells Israel. He says, listen, this is commandment. First one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take my name in vain. Then thou shalt not make in me any graven images. And then that third commandment, he said, now if you do this, if you worship the wrong thing, it says it's not only going to affect you, but it's going to show up in your son. It's going to show up in your grandson. It's going to show up in your grand, great-grandson. He said to the third and fourth generation, this sin is going to be there. The only commandment that if broken Uh, brings judgment upon the next generation is idolatry. And so I have to go back and ask the question when people are saying what's happening to our youth when they leave the church and don't return. And listen, if they leave the church at age 17, 18 and return at age 30, do you know that in that period of time, people are making some of the most critical decisions they're going to make in life? 
They're going to make some of the most critical decisions. Who are they? Identity. Where am I going? Destiny. Uh, What can I do? Uh, Potential. After death, what? They're going to make decisions, many of them, about who am I going to marry? And, and And think about somebody deciding who they're going to marry apart from God. Some of us had God and wonder how we got married to the person we're married. I didn't tell you to hunch nobody. I tell you to do that, okay? Some of y'all ain't right out there over in this section, right over here, okay? Some of us had God and wonder, what was I thinking? Now, I know this is a real holy church, so I know y'all don't ever think about that. But think about people that are apart from God and making decisions on the person that they're going to spend the rest of their life with. And friends, I have to raise the question, where are we and do we understand the times? Could it be that God is still calling his church back to himself? Just like God called Israel back to himself. Because he said, if you don't, your children are going to produce children of harlotry. You see, that was part of the residue that happened even after they went into Babylonian captivity and Assyrian captivity. 722 B.C., Israel goes into Assyrian captivivity and then 586 and five uh, the whole city of Israel is destroyed. Ju- uh, Jerusalem is destroyed. And when everybody's in Babylonian captivity, when they come out about 444 B.C. under Nehemiah, some of the residue of that is still clinging to them. Look at me in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse number 23, 1323, because in Nehemiah 13, we find this word written and I believe it becomes a warning for us today. Nehemiah 13, in my city, I don't know about in Seekonk, a lot of kids are racing themselves, making their own decision. I don't know where we got seduced to believe that parents are supposed to be their kids' friend. And I said, why don't you discipline that child? Well, they won't like me. I said, so what? (laughs) There are seasons when kids don't like parents and parents don't like kids. I said, there was a season in Israel's history where God told Moses, you take your people into the land. And God and Moses told God, these ain't my people. These are your people. Israel had gotten so bad that neither God nor the leader wanted them. And I said, we all have those moments where kids, I mean, one time my wife disciplined my daughter and she said, I don't like you. And she said, I don't care if you don't like me, but you're going to do what I tell you to do. I said, yes. (laughs) So a lot of children are left to themselves and children left to themselves will wind up in destruction. Parents are given as guides. They're given as disciplinarians. They are given as counselors or given as advisors as the children get older. And yet if a child is left to themselves without God and if parents look to other things, our children may not be, may not do everything we tell them to do, but they will ultimately become who we are. And so there needs to be a standard bearer in the home and that standard bearer is parents. And this morning on Sunday morning, I call parents back to God. If you're looking to anything other than God to raise your kids and to give wisdom in raising your children. And even when they become adults, being giving them godly counsel, this is a time we need to seek God and don't compromise the standard and don't believe the lie. If you don't agree with your kid that somehow you don't love them because that's what Hollywood's telling you. 
If your child declares that they are homosexual or lesbian, uh, a lot of stars and a lot of politicians are now coming out. Well, my son just came out the closet. And I really love them, so now I have to change my position on certain laws. I said, what? I said, I can love you and not agree with you. I'm going to say that again because your amens are too weak this morning. I can love you and not agree with you. God so loved the world, but he didn't believe God. He didn't agree with everything the world was doing. I can love you, but not agree with everything. My wife and I, we've been married for 39 years. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that I loved and agreed with every decision that she made. (laughs) Of course, she loved and agreed with every decision I made because I'm the man of God. No, the real truth is we've all had some intense time of fellowship. Look at your spouse if you're sitting next to him and say, you know. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that love doesn't continue. That just means we don't agree on this factor. But somebody has to hold the standard in the home. It becomes critical because the way that the family goes is the way that the city goes. The way that the cities go is the way that the region goes. The way that the regions go is the way that the nation goes. And the way that the nations go is the way that the world goes. Somebody has to hold the standard. And the sin of idolatry, he says in the early verse, he said, man, this sin will cause transgenerational impact and consequences. Nehemiah, when they come out of Babylonian captivity, chapter 13 and verse 23, it says in 1323, 1323 of Nehemiah, it says in those days, I will say to the Jews who have married the women of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab and half their children spoke the tongue of Ashdod, but could not speak the language of Judah. But, but spoke according to the language of one or other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair, says Nehemiah, and made them swear by God, saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons or their daughters uh, for your sons and or yours of or yourself did not Solomon of Israel sin by these things. It says yet among nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear your doing all this great evil transgressing against God by marrying pagan women? He asked him. And then in verse number uh, 30, he goes on. Thus, I cleanse them of everything pagan, everything pagan. And what he does is he starts cleansing the people. But I think verse 28 It says, and one of the sons of Jehoiada, 
the son of Elishahab. It says a high priest was the, was the son-in-law of Samballot, the Hornite. Now Samballot was one of their arch enemies. And it says, and I drove him from me and remembered them. Oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. And that covenant was that you should not give yourselves to pagans. I also assign duties to the priests and to the Levites and even to the service and bringing the wood and the offering and the first fruits and appointed times. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Listen, Nehemiah is known as a great restorer, a great rebuilder. But at the end of his ministry, he goes to the temple and he sees that even in the temple, families and the leaders had given their sons and daughters to marry in foreign pagan people. And God had already said in, their wall, in his word, you shall not do such a thing. Listen, when they did that, when there was this mixture, looking to something else as your source, not holding a standard. When we start doing that, what happens is our kids become bilingual. And in this case, they could speak fluently the language of Ashdod, Ammon and Moab, but they did not know the songs of praise. I find it fascinating. That when music comes on, I find kids in the church, they can quote because sometimes we have some youth meetings and some young ministers come in and they'll quote some of the popular lyrics. And I don't even know what they're talking about, but all the kids will finish up the line. And I said, how is it that you can quote popular rhythm and blues, rap, hip hop, rock? And yet if I ask you to stand up and quote the 23rd Psalm, you struggle. How is it that you don't know Matthew 6, 33? How is it that you don't know John 3, 16? How is it that you don't know Psalm 27, verse number one? How is it that you don't know Psalm 91, verse number one? The Lord is my light and my salvation. How is it that you don't know Psalm 150? That let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. How is it that you can speak the psalm, the language of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab and do not know the tongue of Judah? There's parental responsibility that we have. And it's hard work. I admit it. It's hard work. It's hard work when they're being seduced by an age that wants to bring them into the mainstream and get them, our children, our seed, our posterity, thinking like the world. It's tough. When you have raised up a godly daughter and she walks up on the porch or walks up on the porch, a young man that you know in your spirit is not for the right thing. And how can, look at your neighbor and say, how can you turn your daughter over to a Moabite? One of my friends, his daughter, daughter, daughter is now a physician in our city. And I remember he said when his daughter was talking about going to medical school and everything else, one day she said, Dad, I'm going on a date tonight. And he said, really? And, and, and he said, yeah, Mom said I could go. And he said, okay. And she said, I'm going in here and get ready. And, and he'll be here in a moment. I want you to meet him. And uh, Mr. Sugg said he went to the door and a young man was standing there. He had splits in the knees of his jeans. Said had a tattoo down his neck and a dangling earring right here. And Mr. Suggs looked at him and said, may I help you? He said, yeah, I'm here to pick up your daughter. He said, you're at the wrong house. You didn't come here. 
to pick up my daughter. And he slammed the door and walked back and sat down. After a while, he kept seeing his daughter go to the drapes and pick out and then go to the drapes and pick peek out. Finally, she said, Dad, did anybody come to the door? He said, yeah. He said, a young man came here, but he was lost. And he said, and you are not going out with him. It takes backbone to be a parent today. And God holds us responsible because we don't want children being raised that know the tongue of Ashdod and of Ammon and of Moab, but cannot speak the tongue of Judah, which is a tongue of praise in the word of God. And Nehemiah said, when I found this, not only among the people, but also among the leaders, he said, man, he said, I grabbed them. And he said, and I plucked their beards out. He said, I pulled them up by their hair. And he said, and I made them make a covenant. And that covenant was that you will not give your sons and your daughters to that. And there's a lot of pressure right now to just buy into anything your children want to bring home. That's the pressure right now. If your daughter brings home a girl and say, this is the one, the pressure right now is to buy in. You ain't saying nothing. I'll talk. I'll talk. I ain't scared. I ain't scared. They can come and get me. I've already, I preach like this at home. If your son brings home a son and say, he's the one, don't buy into it. I got birth certificates that tell you what you were when you were born. We had you blessed as a baby and set aside to God in the church. And our covenant with God was we're going to raise you in a, in a meaningful way. And friends, when you and I give ourselves over to other things as our source, when you and I listen to more CNN news, MSNBC, Fox News, listen to all of these forms and we're keeping that television on 24 hours a day and that's feeding into our minds. There's a dumbing down of your Christianity that's going on. I'm going to say it again. There's a dumbing down of your Christianity that's going on. And after a while, you'll start saying, well, maybe it's not so bad. That's why we need to turn that off every now and then. Oh, I got a witness on the front row that says she shuts it off all the time. Because it will cause compromise in us. Let me close with this scripture because I don't want to be stoned this morning. I'll wait till Wednesday night. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15.33. 15.33. Marianne has gone home to be with the Lord, so he sent another prophet your way, okay? 1 Corinthians 15.33. 15.33. Let me close with this scripture this morning. Just for a thought, then we'll pick up Hosea uh, uh, tonight. But... 1533, 1533, because I, I believe that this, 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 this little verse here, this little verse helps us to kind of wrap up my thoughts as we approach this prophet this week, Hosea, because I think we need to understand the times and in first Corinthians 1533. Now the context is resurrection, resurrection. That's the whole context. The longest chapter in our new Testament is on resurrection. But now hear me. It says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good manners. 
says King James. New King James says, look like it says, do not be deceived. New King James evil company corrupts good habits. I have a new living translation here. New living NLT. It says, don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. It seems like corruption is contagious, but holiness is not. Holiness is a decision, but corruption is contagious. And friends, many times when you and I, we cannot be out of the world, but we need to be in the world, but not influenced by the world. We'd have to go all the way out of the world to avoid what the world system is doing right now. We'd have to go all the way out of the world. We can't do that. But our goal is to be in the world, but not become like the world. And as we come into these days right now, there's going to be more pressure on not only preachers like myself and like Pastor John and like others who have determined, I'm going to hold the standard. But there's going to come pressure on you. Because when you and I, we don't have to preach at work, but just hold the standard. Now people are starting to say, those folks are intolerant. Those folks are bigoted. All kind of language is being used. And yet, at the same time, I say, this is where my God tells me I must stand. I have no other choice but to make my stand here. And friends, evil companionship will corrupt good habits. They went after other things as their God. My city, our city voted down uh, a bill came up, the, the vote now, uh, about, about gambling in our city. They want to put casinos in the state of Ohio. Ohio never had casinos. And uh, people are going to Indiana to the casinos and, uh, and to, uh, West, or, uh, to, to Kentucky, the casinos. And on the river, there were river uh, casinos. And so a vote came up. My city voted down the casinos. But when it went on a bill, it went to casinos in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati, all through the state, northern, central, Southern Ohio, our, our city voted down, said no. Preachers got together and said, we don't need that evil in our city. But because it passed the other places, then the state mandated, well, it was a statewide referendum, so there will be a casino in there. Then they wanted to put it in downtown. We rose up again and said, not in downtown, in our city. So it's on the far west side. It's kind of interesting, though, as it was getting ready to be open, all of a sudden commercials started coming in. Hollywood casino and lights and showing people hitting the jackpot. They never show the losers. They never show somebody coming out of a gambling anonymous group. Only those hitting the jackpot. It's kind of fascinating now because of evil companions will corrupt good habits. Now they're starting to show people coming in and out of the casinos. And I'm sitting there watching TV and I saw one of my saints coming out of there. And so, you know, I have to go ask a question. I'm just curious like that. My mother used to say I was nosy, but that's not a good word. I'm just curious. I like to find out what's happening. So when the person walked by me, I said, I saw your TV. I saw you on TV the other day. They said, oh, you saw me coming out the casino. They said, well, you know, casinos have wonderful buffets. (laughs) 
I said, there are buffets all over the city. Look at your neighbor and say, there are buffets all over the city. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I said, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I said, go home and read 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication will corrupt good manners. Friends, we live in a world today where we're seeing the youth and the children in our church corrupted. Could it be that though I don't play the blame game, that we have some responsibility as adults because we've started looking to something else as our source. Some of us even bought in and some of our children have even married to Ammonites and Moabites and Ashdodites. And I want to pray for families because some of you, even though your children made that decision, hear me. I'm not blaming someone that's raised their child in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and by an act of their decision like Adam did walks away. Not blaming. But I'm saying don't give up on prayer for them and don't buy into that. That's what I'm saying this morning. It's one thing for them to make a decision, but it's another thing for us to act like God, who even Adam, when he was in his sin, went walking in the garden in the cool of the day saying, Adam, Adam, where are you? The first missionary journey in the Bible, a loving God looking for his man that he had created and gave him a perfect commandment, put him in a perfect environment. God went after him. And this morning, I know there's all kind of altar calls that we do, but I want to stand in agreement at this altar for some parents who maybe your children have now announced that they're coming out. Maybe you have an adult child that you know they're married to someone that may be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or somebody out of the New Age, or maybe they just married somebody that has no religious affiliation. They might have married an agnostic or an atheist or someone that's educated but not saved. And I don't know how we could rest. Until our children come back and are established in the house of the Lord. It's one thing if they make the decision. It's another thing if we buy into it. As Pastor Ray begins to play, I want to invite to the altar. If you know your child is unequally yoked, disconnected, flirting with this world. I want you to come to this altar. We're just going to pray together at this altar because this is the day. This is the day that we come to this altar because I don't know how we could rest in the sanctuary without bringing this petition to the Lord. And all of us know our condition. Nobody has to be embarrassed. All of us know our condition because many of us, we raised them right. We brought them to the house of the Lord. We lived it right in front of them. But then like Adam, because one day I was struggling with that and I said, God, how could this happen? And God said, how did it happen to Adam? I gave mankind a will. And it's one thing for them to make a decision. It's another thing for us to still hold to the standard. And I bring you to this altar because we're coming to this altar and say, God, we're going to still hold to the standard. See, you and I can love them like God did Adam. But he said, but man, you're in a mess. And I don't agree with the mess, but I'm going to bring you out of that mess. Some of us need to grab hold of the altars of God and say, I'm not going to buy in. I'm not going to say yes when God has said no. The world will say that we're haters, but we're not haters. We're saying, no, we just love God, but we don't agree with the action. And don't buy into that lie that somehow you're a hater. Because the world tries to throw words and concepts at us to get us to back down. And we're not backing down in any dimension today. We stand at this altar because at an altar is a place where you and I touch God. You see, in a prayer line, God touches you. But at an altar, you and I, we learn how to touch God. 
If there was ever a time that we needed to touch God on behalf of our children, whether they are adults, whether they are teenagers, this is that time. I see some tears being shed right now. And that's all right, because I believe that there should be none of us who could rest without shedding some tears until our kids are in the kingdom, until they're filled with the Holy Ghost, until we know that if they die, that heaven will be theirs. I believe that. But when we join ourselves to the wrong source, many times we'll bring forth children of whoredom. And God was a perfect God married to Israel. And yet she made a decision that was wrong. But God said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I hope you're with us this week as we travel through Hosea because you're going to see a relentless God going after people that are lost. And part of my prayer this morning is God, that child out there, you don't give them a moment's rest. Don't ever let them settle down. Don't let them have peace. Because that word's inside of them, that model inside of them, and they know the difference from right and wrong. And Father, we come against this morning in prayer, that deceiving spirit that has come against this child's mind. That seducing spirit like the serpent in the wilderness and like the serpent that also came in a garden. And in the name of Jesus, we declare that that serpent has gotten loose in our cities, loose in our nation, loose among the nations. But we come after him today in Jesus' name. And we declare that we will not be seduced by the spirit of this world, by the spirit of this age, a spirit of destruction and perversion today in the name of Jesus. We come against that Leviathan twisted spirit that tries to seduce us. We come against that, that greed spirit that produces gambling. We come against that spirit of intellectualism that says if I just know more and more and more, somehow I can control my own destiny. I break that thing off their life now. In Jesus' name. We say you will not have our sons. You will not have our daughters. You will not have our children. Our children will not walk away from the Lord. But all of our children shall be taught of the Lord. Great shall be the peace thereof. Oh, God will not be satisfied until our children can speak with the tongue of Judah. Yes, Lord. We'll not be satisfied with just talking the tongue of Ashdod and Ammon and the Moab. But until they can speak the praises of Judah, we'll not be silent. Even as the prophet said, for Zion's sake, we will not be still until we have made Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now you go ahead and call out their name as I continue to pray. Father, we call out the name of that son, that daughter. Father, we come out and we cut the covenant. We cut the bond, Father. Some of them have even come into domestic partnerships and some of them have come into agreement. I break that thing. It's illegal in your kingdom. And I break that thing off their life in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we stand against that thing in this this sanctuary and in this time in Jesus' name. We know that these are the last days. And as it was in the day of Noah, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. But God, there is still a standard. That standard is called holiness. There is still a standard. That standard is called righteousness. For you have shown us, O Lord, what is good and what you require of us to do justice, love, mercy. Walk humbly with our God, Father, we submit to you. And now, Father, forgive any of us in this sanctuary, not only at this altar, but from this platform all the way to the back of the sanctuary. Father, if we've modeled that anything is other than our source, other than you, if we've looked towards arts and entertainment, if we've looked towards business, if we've looked towards anything else other than you, direct media, if we've looked towards government or finance, and if we've substituted any of those things for our resource other than you, God, forgive us. 
stop the idolatry. We stop it. We have no other source but you. No other provider but you. No other savior but you. No other strength but you. Oh God, today we come to you and we repent and we say, God, you are a source. For the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall we fear? The Lord is the strength of our life. Of whom shall we be afraid? The wicked and the enemies and our foes came upon us to eat of our flesh. They stumbled and fell. Let some enemies stumble and fall today, God. And Father, we look to you as our resource and as our source. You're a very present help in trouble. Now, Father, I pray now for everyone in this congregation. Everybody lift your hands about shoulder high. And God, you saw this day coming in Seekonk. Saw it coming in Massachusetts and New England. Saw this day coming in America and among the nations. God, we lift up your hands. Lift up our hands to you because, God, there's no other place that we can go. As the old Pentecostals used to say, Father, I stretch my hand to thee. No other help I know. Thou would draw thyself from me, O whither shall we go? We lift up our hands because you are our source. And God, if ever we needed your strength to stand, this is that day. If ever we needed grace to love, this is that day. If ever we needed you to download wisdom and strategy and warfare, this is that day. If ever there was a day that we needed you to teach us when to speak and when to be silent, this is that day. If there was ever a day that we knew that we needed your strength to stand, this is that day. So I pray, Father, that when all is said and done, we'll still be standing. We'll still be holding the standard. We'll still be saying that the Bible is right and everybody else is wrong. We'll still be saying Jesus is Lord. We'll still be saying holiness unto the Lord. We'll still be saying that the Lord is our righteousness. And Father, that he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We'll still be saying that he's coming for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And Jesus, you're committed to relentlessly pursue us. Committed to change us, to wash us, and to cleanse us. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for awakening in this church that was spread out to this region over this week. Now let the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, be acceptable in thy sight, because you, O oh Lord, are strength and our redeemer. We thank you for our time together. Thank you for this altar call. Thank you for this church. Father, Father, almost a thousand of us have come in here this weekend. When we spread out, let us walk out and say, we're going to hold this statement in Jesus' name. And we'll not stop till all of us have been taught of the Lord. In Jesus' name, go ahead and give the Lord a praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We believe you, Jesus. We believe you, Jesus. We believe you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I come into agreement with you that your sons and daughters shall be taught of the Lord. And all of our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace thereof. I come into agreement with you that the words in your mouth shall not depart from your seed's mouth and your seed's seed's mouth and your seed's 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 mouth. 
Iniquity is shown to the third and fourth generation, but he shows his mercy to thousands of generations. Hallelujah. Praise God. Give God a praise. You can return to your seats now. Hallelujah. Jesus. 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 Thousands of generations. Thousands of generations. You can start a whole new generational stream by this altar call today. Amen. Believe God for it. Amen in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God. 